0: So in spite of the pronouncement that Spring Break is over, uh, I got to spend this week watching my son play baseball down in South Carolina. It's a senior season in high school, and so we're trying to soak in all we can, right, before I'm home alone. Starting next year, I'm home alone. It's going to be like a new movie that's coming out, right, home alone. All right, so so we're going to dig into God's Word today, continue our Lenten journey on full or empty, and if we could pray before we get started, that would be awesome. Let's pray. Jesus... Um, We come to your word with expectation that you will speak to us, speak into our lives. Uh, Lord, we just heard and sung about your spirit and only what it can do. So we pray that your spirit would surround these words, anoint them with power, and translate them for each and every person in the room, Lord. Um, In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So when I was like maybe 10, 11 years old, I had one of the worst days of my life. It's hard to believe at 10, 11, you could do that. But here's what happened at my house. It was a summer day. I got out in the morning and started riding my Schwinn Stingray bicycle, popping wheelies in the street. My mom was warning me not to do this because I might hurt myself. Of course, I ignored her. I kept popping wheelies, eventually fell sideways and hit my head on the concrete. Had a huge lump come out of my head. I've hit my head a lot of times in my life. So, um... So I went in the house, got that iced up. Uh, not too long after that, I thought, well, you got to get back on the bike, right? You can't let falling off the bike once put you down. you got to get back on. So I got back on the bike, and I saw that my little sister and her friends were walking along the road. So I thought it would be kind of cool to ride at them really quickly and swerve at the last minute and see what the reaction would be. So I did this a couple times, and I got the reaction I was hoping for, a lot of screaming, yelling, pandemonium. And so I decided to ride a little closer, but I underestimated my speed, and I swerved too late, and my handlebar hit my sister in the mouth and tipped her right over. And my mother yelled, Jeffrey, get in here. Go to your room. Strike two. So then it was lunchtime. I came out of my room, got at the lunch table, and uh, my brother Scott was sitting next to me. I thought every time my mom, my mom turned her back, I would give him a little shot, like under the table. You know, a little punch, a little punch. Just trying to irritate him. And eventually I punched a little too hard, and somehow the table jittered wrong and the milk all spilled all over the table. And once again, my mother said, Jeffrey, get in your room. So down to my room I went, hung out there for a little while, eventually ended up in the backyard with a golf club in my hand. (laughs) Just hitting like little nine iron shots, these little lofty shots. You know, my mom's yelling out the window, you better watch, you're gonna break a window. I'm like, mom, it's a nine iron, come on. Boom, right in the window where she was yelling out, broke right through the window and lands in the bed behind her. She yells out the window, Jeffrey, wait till your father comes home. This is not good news. My father's six foot four, 220, four, two hundred and twenty, thirty, forty pounds. I'm 11. This is not going to go well for me. So my father pulls in the driveway. I decide I'm going to go out and get some brownie points. So I go out. He comes through the front door. I go out the garage door, start picking up all the toys in the yard, trying to get everything cleaned up. Get to the last possible thing. It's a, it's a beach towel, and he's, my dad has put his car on top of the beach towel. So I'm pulling and yanking in this thing. It won't come loose. But I've seen my dad put the car in neutral before and just roll it down the driveway. So I figure if I just get in the car and roll a little bit forward and stop it, it'll be good. Now this is back in the days of power brakes. This is like in the 60s, right? 60s and early 70s. And so I have no idea that when I do this, the car's gonna keep rolling. So I get in the car, I put it in neutral. I can barely see above the steering wheel. I start hitting the brakes and it continues to pick up speed. I'm like, oh no, oh no. I'm heading for my mom's car, which is parked in the garage. Yeah, you can imagine what happens. There's a crash, a loud noise. My dad comes out and stands there like this. Really? Really? Jeffrey, get in your room. Now, I'm in my room thinking, oh, man, I am dead. It is over. My life is going to end right now. My dad comes in. This huge man sits next to me on the bed. He says, wow, you've had kind of a rough day, haven't you? <laughs> you can say that, Dad. He goes, well, before we talk about the kind of consequences of your behavior, I just want you to know that I love you, and nothing can change that. No matter what you've done, I always will love you. you will always been my son. Now that day, my dad put his heart on display. Right? That day, I understood, not just in my head, but in my heart, in my whole being, that my dad really loved me. The fact that he didn't kill me in that moment told me a lot, right? My dad put his heart on display was amazing. So today we take up this story, a very well-known story, if you've read the Bible before, maybe even haven't read the Bible. It's a well-known story. It's a story of these two lost sons. But it's really a story about the heart of the Father. It's really a story where Jesus tries to, through this story, put the heart of the Father on display for his audience. Now, who's in his audience? Well, let's check it out. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus has a mixed audience, right? There's a bunch of crowds. He's been putting the heart of the Father on display through his life in the flesh for people to see. He's been healing people. He's been teaching. He's been doing all this kind of stuff. So crowds of people are following this guy. And in the crowd, there's two different audiences. The first audience are the tax collectors and notice in parentheses, Sinners. It's in parentheses because somebody has called them sinners, labeled them sinners. Those people believe they don't deserve the love of the Father. They've come to believe that the Father will never love them, and they don't deserve to even receive his love. They've been told that. Then there's the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They're in the audience, and they're there to check Jesus out, and they believe they deserve everything the Father can give them because they've lived such a great life that they deserve all the blessings from God that, that God can pour out on them. So Jesus is in this situation. He's trying to put on display the heart of the Father, and he starts telling this story. He could have pointed out each of the groups and called them out. Instead, he tells this story about these two lost sons. So let's dig into the story. It starts like this. And you're going to be the kids. You're going to be the sons. So you're have, you have some big parts, folks. I want to see some enthusiasm, some active you know, reading out there. Okay? All right, here we go. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, this is crazy. Really? Seriously. You know what this son's basically saying to his dad? Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were gone. Just give me my share of the estate. I'm just going to go on my way and pursue my life the way I want to pursue it. I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired of this village. I'm tired of this religion. I'm tired of all these constrictions on my life. I need to get out and kind of do it my way. And the father agrees. What? Why would you agree to this? The father opens the pocketbook and says, okay, fine. Give him the share of the estate. All of the common sense says, don't do this, but this father's heart is, if I don't set this kid free and let him go do this, he'll never come back. He'll never get it. So I'm going to turn him loose, right? Story continues. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Well, the distant country is not so distant. I'll show you the map here. He was probably where that red dot is in that area, and he went to probably the area where Hippos is, which is where the cities of the ten cities of the Decapolis were located. This was; these were Gentile cities where all kinds of crazy stuff went on. They were the complete polar opposite of life in Capernaum. Capernaum was little houses, little narrow streets, family and community. The Gentile world was giant markets. All kinds of stuff available to you to, you know, sow your wild oats, right? So he goes to the opposite end of the world. Let's go back to our verse. And it says there, in this distant country, he squandered his wealth in wild living. His goal was to get as far away as possible from his father's house and his father's way of life. Right? So he squanders it all. Goes crazy. Now, the wild living part, I guess you can use your imagination. Some people say that it was prostitutes. Some people say it was just buying a lot of stuff. In the Gentile world, if you bought a bunch of things and had some, the right clothes and the right stuff, you were considered to be really great. So most likely, he just spent like a madman, right? Squandered it all. Let's keep going. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, But no one gave him anything. Now, think about this. You grew up in a Jewish village where Leviticus says this pigs, don't even touch them, don't eat them, don't go near them. And you go as far away from your father's house as possible to this distant country. And after you've lost everything, squandered all your wealth, all your possessions, you end up feeding pigs. Have you ever been around pigs? I have. I knew a pig farmer in Minnesota. He asked me to come speak at his church out there, so I went out there and he said, You want to go to my pig barn? I said, Sure. He said, Okay, well, we got to go into the, the barn. We have to take off all of our clothes and take a shower on the way in. Seriously, even your glasses, he said, Don't take them in with you because you can't get the smell off. Took everything off, changed into this whole different outfit. We went into the pig barn. I'm not kidding you, my eyes watered from the stench. It was brutal brutal stench. It was everywhere. You couldn't get away from it. And the pig food was all mixed in the mud. Just kind of, these pigs were just like lapping up mud and food. It was, it was like disgusting. And then when we left, we had to take off all the clothes we had on, shower again, put our clothes back on and get out of there. So imagine this son who had this life going in this little village of Capernaum is now feeding the pigs and longs to eat the pig food off the ground that's all mixed in the mud in this smelly, stinky, dirty place. It goes against everything he stands for. He's desperate. He's gone as far away from his family and his father as possible. Let's keep reading. When he came to his census, he said, here we go, your part. Now, the popular interpretation of this parable is when he came to his senses means he repented. That's not what the Greek word means. In fact, it only appears one other time in the New Testament. In the book of Acts chapter 12, when Peter is freed from jail by the angels, it says when he came to his senses, realized where he was, that it wasn't a dream, right? So this guy, a better translation would be when he came to himself, when he looked in the mirror and got smart about where he was, When he took an interest in himself and realized, what am I doing slopping around with pigs? He cooked up a scheme to get back in his father's good graces. He knew the rules. The rules said, if you left your father's home, squandered all your wealth with Gentiles, you would not be welcome back to your village. He had shamed his father. He had made a fool of his family. He had made a fool of his village. There was no way back, so he had to have a scheme. What was his scheme? Well, he figured, if I can just offer myself to come and work and pay back the money, then I'll get back to the good graces of my people in my village. It's a scheme. It's not repentance, right? It reminded the Pharisees in the audience of what Pharaoh said in Exodus chapter 10. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take the deadly plague away from me. Pharaoh was not sincere. He was manipulative. I think this young man is being manipulative. How do I know this? Well, think about it. Jesus tells three parables in this chapter. The first one's about a lost sheep. Can lost sheep find their way back home? No. Nope. Someone has to go find them. Do lost coins jump off the floor and come back to, no, someone has to look for them. Well, do lost sons find their way back home? No. No. If they found their way back home, then their salvation would be in their own hands. So they've got to be looked for. They've got to be found. This young man is not ready to go back home and receive his father. He's wanting to go back home and pay back the money and find a scheme to get back in his good graces of his village. Okay? So what happens? Let's keep going. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, here's what the father knows. The village has a sh- ceremony of shame. It's called a kezazah. Kezaza ceremony is done to anybody who goes and leaves their family and squanders their money in Gentile world, Gentile crazy living, and then tries to come back home. The city elders meet you at the gate of your city. They take a jar, a clay jar, and they break it at your feet and shatter it in the pieces, saying, you're no longer welcome in this city. This is you, a broken mess. You have made your life a broken mess. You're not welcome here. You're not not welcome to come in here. You're not welcome to relate to us. You're not willing to worship with us. You're cut out. You're cut off. So the father knew that if his son reached the city gate, the elders would gather and they would crash that pot, and that would be the end. He'd be cut off forever. So what does the father do? Even though he's been shamed and made a fool of by his son, he picks up his robes and he runs to his son outside the city gate, outside the village, and meets him on the road. Now running as a Jewish man shows your legs, not good. He's shaming himself left and right. And he gets to his son and throws his arms around him and hugs him and kisses him and says, hey, you're back, it's awesome. And he walks him back into the village, right past the city elders. So they can't him. It's amazing. It's amazing. What amazing love. This father is like completely crazy, right? In the Kezazah ceremony, the father was supposed to stay home in his house. He wasn't even allowed to come to the ceremony. He ignores all that, ignores the rules, runs past the city elders, and brings his kid back into the village. The kid now, because of this amazing love, actually repents. Notice this time he doesn't talk about being a slave. Doesn't talk about working off the money. He just says, Father, I've sinned against you and against God, right? I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father doesn't even care. He doesn't even let him get the words out. He doesn't want to know what happened. He doesn't want to know the story. He just says, hey, you're welcome back. And he throws a party in his honor. Quick, bring the best roll. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened cap and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Have you ever seen this kind of love in real life? Ever been around this kind of love? You ever seen the Father's heart put on display like this from people? I have. In Lawndale, uh, Chicago, with Wayne Gordon. Now, maybe you don't know who Wayne Gordon is, but Wayne Gordon started Lawndale Community Church. The way he started it was he, put, he started as a football coach in uh, Farragut High School, said the football equipment was so bad back then that he had to ask Wheaton College for some real helmets. He said weightlifting in that neighborhood when he came was a broomstick with, with bricks on the ends. So he bought a weight machine, put it in his living room facing the street. When the players came by and saw it, they said, hey, Wayne, Coach Gordon, can we use your weight machine? And he said, well, you can if you come to my Bible study. So seven guys and their seven girlfriends came to the Bible study. His wife led the girls' Bible study upstairs. He led the Bible study around the weight machine with the guys. All 14 kids became Christians. Those were the people that launched along community church, right? It's amazing. Jojo, his assistant pastor to this day, was one of those 14 kids. When Jojo went to the army, Jojo completely lost it. He He got hooked on drugs and came back to Lawndale from the army completely hooked on heroin and cocaine and spent most of his days in dumpsters and crack houses and other places around the neighborhood of Lawndale. Coach Gordon told me that he would drive in his van every day looking for Jojo, searching for him because Jojo was someone that he knew was his son and God's son. And when he found Jojo on the street corners and the dumpsters, wherever he found him, he rolled down his window and he would say, Jojo, I love you, and so does Jesus. And then he would drive away. He wouldn't roll down his window and say, Hey, Jojo, you deserve what you got. Look at you. You know, you got to get your life straightened out. No, I love you, and so does Jesus. When Jojo crawled in a bathtub several months later to try to take his own life, slit his wrists, when he woke up in the morning, he knew where to go. He went to Wayne Gordon. The guy whose arms were open on the road saying, welcome home, Jojo. Welcome home. I don't want to hear the story. I'm just glad you're home. I'm just glad you're home. Have you been in the far country? Have you done things you wish you hadn't done? Have you said things you wish you hadn't said? Have you thought things you wish you wouldn't have thought? I have. I have. And here's the great thing. My God has not shattered a pot at my feet and said, you're done, Klein. You're cut out. It's over. You got what you deserved. No. He's like this. Hey, welcome home, Jeff. Welcome home. I got this. Right? It's, it's radical, scandalous love. It makes no sense. It's the radical scandalous love that Jesus was going to put on display with his own life on a cross not long after this. Now it would be great if we could end the story there because that son's obviously lost, right? It's pretty obvious that he was messed up and lost. But what about the other son? There's a second son in the story who's just as lost as the first one. So when this son hears about the party going on, he comes and inquires about it. Look at this. And he asked the servant, what's going on? And he says, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. See that Greek word, safe and sound? It's the same word as shalom. What the servant's saying to the brother is, your brother's come back and he's whole again. He's back home. He's safe. He's sound. He's, he's shalom. He's restored to the community. He's reconciled to the father. This makes the brother furious. Why would he be furious? Well, think about it. He's already received his part of the inheritance, and now his father's spending the inheritance on this loser. Right? What the heck? And he's just furious. He's like, what's going on? And so, look what happens. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So, his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father. Look at that, this son of yours, not my brother, right? Not calling my name, this son of yours, he's your kid. He's come back, he deserves nothing but punishment and judgment and kezazah. But instead, you've opened your arms and let him in? Are you crazy? This guy here, he's the kind of guy that thinks he deserves all God's blessings, He's the Pharisee in the audience, right? Because he's lived this beautiful life and figured it all out. He's got it all together. So, of course, he deserves all God's blessings. You know, I've met tons of people in church like this. You know what? I'm actually one of you. I've acted like this. How about you? I've looked down my nose at people out there who don't know what I know and thought they deserve punishment. They deserve to get hammered. In fact, I think there's a little bit of this in me. Three months ago, my daughter Morgan, who's never had an accident in her life, she's driven for three and a half years, backed out of the driveway, and plowed into the car across the street with my car. My car. I came out in the driveway having gotten the news, and to this day I regret what I said, but the first thing in my mouth was, I just got this car fixed. Fixed. Look at the back of it. Then I said, it's okay, Morgan. Wait a minute. My dad sat next to me on the bed. I trashed his whole house. And he said, it's okay. I love you. My first words in my mouth were the older brother's words. Morgan, I wish you wouldn't know this. You wrecked my car. You got to get my car. It's in me. I got the older brother in me. How about you? We church people are loaded with the older brother, but he's just as lost as the younger son because he doesn't understand the father's love for him. He has no idea, he has no idea how much the father loves him and his brother the same, and he won't receive it because he just won't go in the party. He's not going to go in the party. I'm not going to the party. He says. Now, when you start to understand the father's heart for people, it leads you to all kinds of crazy places. So, about two months ago. I ended up in a stylist shop on a Sunday afternoon. After doing church here with all of you, I went to a memorial service in a stylist shop in Wheaton run by two men who are life partners. Yeah. They invited me to come and do the Jesus part of the memorial service for Mandy. Why'd they invite me? Well, Mandy's a friend of my, uh, my own hair cutter. You can see how she does a good job, huh? Uh, And uh, I I baptized Nancy uh, years ago. We would come to her chair, my whole family, and we would just talk about Jesus, and eventually we baptized her. So she knew Mandy, and we had been involved in Mandy's life in a variety of ways. And so when Mandy died, after some really difficult circumstances, I got to go to this memorial service. The room was loaded with hairdressers, stylists, I'm supposed to call them, I think, right? There were lots of them. There was like 80 of them in there. Of course, that's not really my crowd. You know what I'm saying? Their hair was green. It was super styled. They were wearing some funky stuff. The alcohol was flowing freely. This was a memorial service for Mandy, who had shined some sort of light in this community because everybody in the room talked about the, the impact Mandy had in their life. And I happened to know Mandy was a believer in Jesus. So I got to stand up in front of this group of people and say, I'm here to represent the church of Jesus Christ, which of course doesn't really go too well in that group. They're not too excited to see me. So I started like this I said, hey, Um, I just want to give full disclosure as I begin today. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm a pastor in a church. I'm sorry if the church hasn't really done so good at opening their arms to all of you. But I just want to tell you about the faith that I have, and I believe the faith that lived in Mandy. And I took a story from the Gospels and unpacked it for this group of people. People were crying, weeping. My wife got up after that and prayed for the whole group. Afterwards, they were asking me where I go to church. I said, well, you guys can come. All of you can come. Bring your green hair, your stuff. We'd love to have you. We'll be waiting for you with open arms. I haven't seen him show up yet, but it'd be great if we had a whole bunch of stylists show up at church next week. Wouldn't it be awesome? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be so cool because we'd be the church then with open arms, sharing the heart of the Father with the world, which is what this story is all about. You know, it's amazing because these two sons don't get it. They don't get There's nothing you can do to make God love you more there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. They don't get that. So as I pondered this story, I, I, I found myself sitting around thinking, huh, where, where's my heart at? Like, do I understand the love of the Father? Have I experienced this? Have I gone into the party to celebrate when the lost are found, when the dead have been made alive again, when people have been whole again? Have I been part of this? Am I, am I fully entered into this Jesus stuff? And, and two questions came up in my, my mind. I don't remember I read them years ago, but these are the two questions. If you've been in the far country, if you've been kind of wandering, here's the question for you. Will you let yourself be found by God? Will you let him find you? And if you're the person that's been in church your whole life and you're not sure if you want to get into the party, here's the question for you: Will you let God love you? Will you let him wrap his arms around you and make you part of the party of the kingdom that's going on? Can I leave you with those questions this morning? If you want to be filled, let God find you? Let God love you? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming and putting your Father's heart on display for us. Thank you for these stories, Jesus, that you told that make us look at our own hearts in whole new ways. I pray this morning, Jesus, that you would help us to figure out if we have experienced your love, how we need to experience it more, In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.